Welcome to the AI Equation Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Lakshay Bakshi. Lakshay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, well, first and foremost, you're involved in the world of AI, and we're going to talk about that um, on, uh, in a few minutes. But first, I want to dig into your your journey with your co-founders. You have three co-founders, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so so tell me about that. How did you guys meet? You were talking about you guys met at, uh, at Duke, is that correct? Yeah, so I went to Duke um, for undergrad, studied electrical engineering, computer science. I've always had a really, really deep interest in building. Um, I think there's just a lot of exciting stuff to kind of creatively express yourself when you're an engineer um, and designing and thinking about how people use product, I think is really interesting. And so I've always leaned towards both engineering and entrepreneurship. While I was at Duke, I was a part of the student founder program, you know, typical that a lot of like undergrad programs have that sort of thing. I got into the Melissa and Doug Fellowship where I met uh, one of my co-founders for Scholar AI, who then introduced me to more and more of our group. And so our entire group, very, very entrepreneurial by nature. Um, we have folks who've been involved in the research industry. Um, two of my co-founders are PhD, like current students. Um, so very, very, very advanced group of folks. I, uh, I'm very lucky to be having them on my team. That's awesome. And so it was a AI, obviously with Scholar AI, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, as you guys built that, were there other ideas aside from the the use case for the apps because right now there are thousands of apps out there web apps and plugins and and mm -hmm. there's lots of different ways that you can solve problems i i love some of the products that are out there that solve you know marketing sales customer support issues obviously misinformation i think there's just so much that you can use ai for for good um even though we keep hearing these doom doomsday stories from <laughs> people who actually don't know how it works you know they feel like at some point the bot's going to take over and just uh, you know take over the nuclear weapons and i'm like I, I just don't see that happening you know yeah i guess the place we kind of started is that obviously so much of our group lean towards research of course like two phds former member and like a former executive in the research industry myself having done research at duke as an undergrad and i think when you see what lms are capable of especially back in like december of 2022 it becomes pretty obvious that some of their biggest strength is summary and synthesis right so coming up with new information and being able to like come up with new ideas is obviously difficult. That's where the human element's the most important. But in the space of, there's so much information out there in the world, so much of it, right? And especially when you look at academic and research, some of it and so much of it can become arcane. And so the driving mission is that one, when we were playing with this stuff and kind of looking for ideas, I was actually just trying to review some of my research from undergrad and like kind of freshen up as like, hey, I was getting hot again. I did stuff in convolutional neural networks for medical applications. And I was reading the stuff that was printing out to me. I was telling me paper names. I was giving me citations like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Kept reading it. And everything was super believable. It was giving me like real AUC values. It was giving me like actual metrics that if I had just taken that face value, we'll have walked away from them believing everything that was being told to me. But one of my co-founders said like, hey, let's like look up that paper. Took that paper, put it in Google. Doesn't exist. Author was made up. AUC results, absolutely made up. And so what became really relevant, like obvious to us is Yes, generation is really good. Summary is really good. But you have to be able to provide like trustworthy sources right. to these systems. I think that goes beyond just research. I think when you think about all the places that 
we're currently playing with research, but there's also so much opportunity for like, for example, we've seen lawyers are using our tool, journalists are using our tool, doctors who are just trying to keep up with literature are using our tool. Um, where especially in like critical information spaces where especially language can be more advanced than just, you know, typical vernacular. I think the importance of LMs becomes really, really obvious in making information accessible for everyone right. and being able to synthesize it in ways that's tailored to you. We actually find a lot of usage, um, and this was, this caught me by surprise, but international usage for people who aren't English first speaking, okay. they use our tool in combination with ChatGPT, then be able to translate papers that are not in their language to their language, kind of taking away the barrier to usage of academic knowledge and interfacing all of that and reducing it down to, I can speak the language of this paper. And, and when did you guys launch Scholar AI? Yeah, so we kind of like formed as a group, like loosely last December. We were like throwing ideas around, like seeing like, okay, we have LMs, we have research, just kind of toying and seeing what we do. Um, we released the plugin in like mid-May, if I remember correctly. Um, and ever since like, especially by being like one of the, the early ones on the ChatGPT store, we've just like, it's been so, <laughs> as someone with like entrepreneurial aspirations, it's, it feels, I'm very grateful for how fast things have moved. Just like the, the emergence of ChatGPT and kind of the opportunity that's created for developers has felt very immense. Um, and we've been very lucky to like have grown so rapidly off of that. Are you guys planning on using any other LLMs like uh, Anthropic or Google or Llama from Facebook? Yeah, my, my sort of attitude is that obviously the the plugin as it stands right now is it relies a lot of benefit from being on ChatGPT, right? Like there's a, a platform dependence there that a lot of people use ChatGPT as their kind of primary LM right now. Um, and not many other companies are doing any sort of equivalent developer support. As we're working more dedicated tooling, I'm anticipating we'll be moving more and more towards open source. Mm, okay, awesome. You know, in terms of the... The plugin itself, I, I was able to test the plugin and I urge our listeners too who have GPT plus, which I, I kind of tell everyone, you know, like if you're going to be on chat GPT, you need to do the paid version. And I, I say to me, it's worth a lot more than the $20 a month, right? I do mm -hmm. so much with it. I, you know, the productivity, things that I can do at a moment's notice. I also use the, the, uh, my Android app for it. And mm -hmm. at a moment's notice, like whether it's stuff with family, my kids or finances, like I'm able to customize the, the, the interactions. Right. Um, but as I was testing yours, I, I went through, I've noticed this on, on um, chat GPT is that, you know, there's really two paths to sign up to plugins. One is you install it and then you do, you figure out what the best way to prompt it is to use that mm -hmm. plugin. And then the other way is when you install the plugin, it redirects you to the developer site, which in your case, it does that. And then you can log in or create an account either through Google or through an email. I chose through an email. And so I went mm -hmm. down that path and it worked beautifully. And I was trying to research wildlife, wildlife for one of my clients. And um, the, the research papers that came up was like really amazing. And I really liked how it had the, uh, the link to the PDF uh, and the author and just, just really great information that I think, you know, would have taken me um, hours of a regular search on Bing or Google, where you're going scrolling pages after pages, because 
what I try to explain to people and see if you agree with me, Lakshay, on this is that the difference between especially researching or doing work on search engines today versus uh, ChatGPT is that, you know, search engines, they're, they're primarily there to feed you ads. And, mm -hmm. and when they're not feeding you ads, then you have the third party vendors, the marketplaces who are disrupting that interaction and creating friction between you and the customer. Whereas I feel like when in this scenario, especially research, you're able to get to what you want much faster without people trying to advertise to you and pull you into yeah. some, you know, obscure uh, channel. Absolutely. I, the, the easiest comparison I can always draw is that before ChatGPT, let's say I want to find like a recipe for something, okay. right? If I wanted to like, just like look up like, Hey, how do I make banana bread? Like the typical article that would come up is so loaded with like, Oh, here's my family lore. Here's like seven ads and like plugs for like Instagram. It's a blogger. Exactly. And like at the end, you get like the beginning of a description of a recipe and then you have to do more interactions than open up to finally get the whole thing. Like, and then what? you got, and then you got the ads because <laughs> the blogger, the influencer, creator, whatever website, it could be New York times. They're like, here are 10 more ads. Hopefully mm -hmm. you mistakenly even click on the ad and we'll take mm -hmm. you down some other path. And then no more banana bread. Now you're buying exactly. whatever else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like the worst part is that like, especially when there's stuff where you like need more like tailored information, but let's say like I'm vegan, right? I'm not, but if I were vegan, I was looking at banana bread. And the first thing I click, I have to go through all of this to finally see like, oh, this is not a vegan friendly recipe. And then you have to go through again, find all that information, parse through it yourself to then get the relevant bits, right? Yes. Whereas when you're taking that to like, or like a real intense use case scenario, right? If you're a medical doctor and you're trying to take care of your patients, right? It's really crucial that you can keep up with like the most prominent medical literature and think about how arcane writing from around the world can become. Oh, imagine, forgetting. yeah, now it's not just like banana bread. Now, like you're having to sleuth out like 70 pages of literature to understand just a couple key takeaways. That's so much easier when you have a machine that does that synthesis for you and speaks your language, whether that's literally or speaking in a way that's like simplified. For example, if you're a high schooler or trying to learn or something to that effect. Yeah. And I, I've used the other plugins like the Instacart. Your example is perfect right on. Um, for those of you who are not trying, you know, the 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 paid version of ChatGPT, I keep urging people to, I say, I don't get paid for you to, but, you know, sign up for the paid version, but just do because the possibilities like are endless. Even like with Dolly 3, I'm doing like uh, um, these um, drawings for my kids and coloring pages, like amazing. So like the use cases, there are so many. Um, but one of the use cases that I like in your example is a, is a recipe where uh, we were doing a, a, a retreat, like a party for the company. And I'm able to put the, get the recipes, do the party planning, and then ask it to, create that list in Instacart, right? It's, it's incredible because mm -hmm. it, it'll redirect you to the Instacart page with all the ingredients that you needed already in your cart. Like that saves you hours of work. Yeah. And, and you can specify to your point, like I, you know, certain guests are vegan. This is what I need to do. Like in this case, the example was doing a, um, well, it's a real use case actually for an organization that I belong to. And, uh, it was, uh, the theme was a Hawaiian theme. So mm -hmm. it's like, what are, you know, the, the typical, and it went through everything, even the party favors that you would want to order. So, um, 
I love it. I love it. Now talk to me about, you know, one thing is research papers, which I found very helpful, but what are you guys doing to be able to provide in real time in the plugin information about the, the author, for example, because what I find is often with misinformation is one of the things I try to teach my kids is look, if you come across a paper, whatever it is, um, you or a blog and you want to consume that, you want to find out who wrote it, what they're about. So whether it's going to their LinkedIn or figuring out what their credentials are, like I need that information. Mm-hmm. Are you guys going to be able to put that into place just to be able to minimize the amount of time that I have to go here, there and everywhere? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I think especially on the the sort of ethos of having trust kind of built into the system, I think that information is so crucial. One thing I find that with ChatGPT is that I don't know if in your sort of like process as an entrepreneur, you run into this as an issue, but context windows have been such a limiting factor, right? It's very hard to live in an interface where your input is just text and your output is just text. Mm -hmm. And however much of ChatGPT can read that is variable, right? Um, So we do a lot of stuff to kind of make sure that like when you're asking us information, we're getting out as many crucial bits as we can without polluting the context window such that ChatGPT doesn't hallucinate as much as possible. We try to make sure that when it is writing, we know it's writing from source, right? Mm. And so when it comes to like authors and such, I think that's a really great point. And as we're developing a web app, I'll 100% keep that in mind because there it'll be a lot easier to kind of just say, you know, here's our table. We'll talk about this thing. We can manage this part, that sort of thing. Awesome. I love that. So I just wanted to give you a quick example of my prompt here. And it was very basic, you know, it's just using your plugin to research wildlife. It was very broad. I didn't get too specific in my prompt, but, um, but I did go through it. And as I said, you know, I work with a nonprofit that does wildlife in South Florida. So I, I knew a lot of information about uh, wildlife, but that's really what I wanted to research. But I love the, um, it, the way that it talked about the abstract. So just that quick summary, just to give me an idea of, uh, am I on the right track here or not? So in this in this case, I loved it that it talked about the PFAS chemicals because that's a huge problem um, with wildlife everywhere. And obviously human beings as well, right? Like you you have yeah. a lot of dirty chemicals in your water and PFAS and whatnot. So I that, that I was attracted to. But uh, for those that are listening and also hearing us on YouTube, then, you know, like, this is what happens. You click on it and it took me directly to the the paper, right? And I knew it was reputable because Wiley is a huge publisher. So I knew that the fact that it's hosted on there, um, I, I didn't have to go, you know, f- further do further searching on, is this a legitimate website? So my question to you is, Lakshay, is how do you, are there, you talked about hallucinations, which happens with ChatGPT, which that's the, its weakness. So with Scholar AI, am I am I assured that I'm not going to, be, by using Scholar AI, I am always going to be redirected to reputable websites? I guess that's the question. Absolutely. Every time you're querying us, like we always pull from academic research and those are websites. We never pull from... Um, when you're searching, all of this is by default peer reviewed. You can, okay. of course, like look past that if you want to. There's ways to like search and say like, oh, you can open up to non-peer reviewed stuff. But we're mm-hmm. always making sure, and this is core to everything we do, is that we read peer reviewed, reputable sources. Um, 
And when you're searching for information, like if there is a legal open access PDF that we can show you, we will. Got it. And, and, and what, what happens with, um, for example, uh, gated content where, where maybe it's just in the back of like, a, you know, a, a, especially with colleges and universities, so mm-hmm. much of it, you have to be a student logged into their back end. Yeah, this is a, a persistent problem for any company anywhere near the research space. We've we've talked and like kind of explored partnerships, but it's just it's very very difficult to serve even like I don't know if you've experienced this feature so far, but we actually are able to read the PDFs into ChatGPT, yes, and ask answer questions about them, look at images, all that sort of stuff. Um, but a lot of publishers, because it's copyright content, they make it very very difficult for anyone to even read it programmatically. So persisting problem, um, we'd love for <laughs> solutions to come up, but especially if the industry is moving more and more towards open access, it's an issue that will hopefully go away over time. Exactly. And I think that's yeah. what it comes down to, right? I mean, whether you're talking about the the issue with IP and copyright, and mm-hmm. so whether it's music or books, and we hear about all these lawsuits against open AI, mm-hmm. but um, ultimately, I think that, that those, those are two different schools of thoughts, you know, where mm-hmm. certain creators, let's just say creators in general, be authors, artists, certain creators, um, they have different ways to monetize their their creation. Um, and and they want to have it as open source. You know, I think of projects yeah. like Wikipedia, uh, yeah. things that are in um, you know Creative Commons, things like that. And and then you have others who or organizations as well, um, like New York Times or whatnot. They have all this gated content, and and you have to pay for it. You know, so I feel like it's one of those things where there's content that will never be free. Um, so therefore, it's out of touch. And, mm-hmm. and, and and if you want it, you got to pay for it, you know, but I think yeah. that you, you guys probably um, are going to find that there's more in that world. Uh, and obviously you already know this, you know, cause I've talked to many universities. We go, we talk to students about AI and the consensus so far from what I hear is that, um, you know, they're encouraging the different colleges to open even, even, even portals that are not open today, they're saying open it up because if you do, it's actually could be great for admissions, right? Because you yeah. get your information out there. I mean, that's marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, this is outside of the scope of technology, but I'm just of the general stance that like information should be as accessible and like as free as possible. Right. Especially when you look at like, for example, students, like having uh, a university being able to provide you like a library for which you have access to papers and mm-hmm. um, really robust information is hyper valuable. Right. But that's not the case all around the world. I'm sure there's a lot of people who like want to engage with really deep science, but may not have the resources to, right? I think this movement towards open source and just having public data become more accessible in general, um, I think is going to do better for everyone, you know? Um, Like, I think this movement towards open source and science, I'm very happy about. Um, Just because, I mean, for example, I'm not in university right now. I'm (laughs) working, coding away, right? But being able to access scientific literature without having to worry about like, oh, I need to pay for this publication, that publication, um, I think is better for everyone. And and what are your thoughts on, and you have some co-founders who are still, you know, going through their PhD programs. Um, what, what are overall your thoughts on students using any AI to write their essays? I mean, it's a very hot topic. Yeah. I'm so, I guess I kind of have two angles on this where first off, like, all these systems, you have to like 
operate off of some trust. You can't kind of blindly just take away whatever is being written and kind of operate off that. Mm -hmm. Of course, with like Scholar AI, like we're trying to do information synthesis, but something like generating a paper or generating an essay is something I'm personally very cautious of. Like, I think like, especially interacting with these systems, there's so much stuff that's so almost fickle to prompting and the way you choose to interact with it. I mean, I code, right? And I use this all the time to help me code. Like it just makes me a faster developer. But so often I will see one line that's so explicitly incorrect. I'm like, hey, that's wrong. And it'll come back to me like, yeah, you're right. Here's the corrected one. Like I personally would not write with a system that does that. But what I do think there is value in is if you're in a space where iteration is kind of the name of the game, where you are using this sort of system as a co-pilot, not as like the driver, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you kind of have to be... Yeah, which is a lot like what we've been doing with Google search and Wikipedia mm-hmm. for forever, or even before, even before that, I think about when I was in high school in the, you know, in the mid nineties, I mean, you had, um, uh, those CD ROMs from, um, and en- <laughs> encyclopedia, you know, you, just oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you've always had access, whether it's books or whatnot, right? Like we, yeah. we learn from all this material that other people have written about. And I feel like, um, my, my personal feeling on it, you know, is that use AI to your point, it's human centric. You're the one prompting, you're the one creating the idea. And then you're just adding a little bit here and there, whether it's using scholar AI or using, maybe you're having trouble articulating one sentence or paragraph mm-hmm. on your paper and you're putting in, like, I often do this with chat GPT where I've got a whole paragraph that I wrote. I wrote and I just don't feel like it's been articulated so great. So I go in and say, can you make this better? And it makes it better. I don't feel like I'm cheating by doing this because it ultimately it started and ended with me, my approval. And I may still go in and then edit one thing that might be like, okay, you said in conclusion again, chat GPT, please don't say that (laughs) one more time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately like if, it is a black box system for a lot of people, like understanding how these AI are generating content, how they're inputting content is obviously very obscure to many people. Um, I think like if that's a sort of system you're interacting with, your attitude towards it should be, I am the person guiding it. I'm reviewing it. And I'm the one who's ultimately accepting it. I think especially like even with our own tool, like um, when you're providing ways for the users to kind of validate and like making it easier for them to like ascertain whether the knowledge that's being given to them, the whether the generation that's being given to them is based on truth. I think that makes products all the more powerful. Okay. Um, So I think like the element of trust is going to be a very dominating one for the AI conversation, especially over the next couple of years. I think anyone who's developing in this space should kind of keep trust front and center. Mm -hmm. The less you, or rather the more you can do to educate your users on what they're interacting with, and how to kind of get the best value and understand it, the better off everyone's going to be, right? Um, again, it it can oftentimes feel mysterious. We're just like, yeah, like I asked it for this banana bread <laughs> and I don't know how it came up with that. But yeah, I trust that like you put eggs in banana bread. That sounds about right, right? That's um, right. Well, especially yeah. well, it's back back to using the browser. So it is using the browser ultimately, yeah. you know, even if you, like I see that when I ask it for sources, it doesn't always give me the right source, but sometimes I do the the prompt using the the browser Bing, and then I, I I'm able to get the source, kind of like what you did with your um with with Scholar AI, where I can actually see 
the source and where it came from. But then even as a user, you still have to go beyond that to see is, is it an, you know, a reliable source. And so yeah. I, I don't feel like it's going to take people's jobs away. I, I talk to people about that all the time. We've talked about it here in the podcast where it's like, to me, it's just making people more productive, more creative. I think of the, in the education space, clearly to me, um, teachers being able to spend more time with their students and less time, you know, grading papers and things like that. Um, finding better academic papers with an app like yours. Th th those are things that I, I think should make the world a better place overall. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if, like you can kind of rely on these systems, especially in processes that are right, like art, coding. Um, those sort of places where absolutely you need the human element to make sure that like what you're outputting is valuable. But aside from that, like you can basically treat it as a productivity increase. I bring up coding because it's such an obvious one. That's why GitHub Copilot and all these like similar services are doing so well. Is yeah, like sometimes they'll input wrong stuff, but the overall value gain you're getting from just like the speed of getting correct information and just being able to like put that out. Amazing. I'm sure yeah. like in like the, the scientific utopia and like the technology utopia well imagine is like, if you're asking for something, there's just like some AI, like personal, like bot that just handles requests for you. And if, even if like the way Alexa, you can ask it for the weather these days, right? If we could have these sort of systems where it just intuitively knows like what's the correct way to get correct information and kind of lets you interact with it. I think like the value gain from that, whether that's interacting with Excel tables, whether that's writing code, make, cooking food, it's so hard to like think of as minimal, right? I don't think it's ever gonna necessarily wipe out jobs or ruin productivity. It's right. just as with, as with computers, right? We, the computer was first a role for someone who did computing, right? Like they would do math. Um, but ultimately, like we made a machine that made doing computing easier. I think right. it's going to be the same way. It's just that the the potential of AI is just so much wider than just math. Absolutely. I, I think of it like with the, the big brick cell phone back in like the late 80s. You see it in movies where mm -hmm. if you had a cell phone, you were either a, a billionaire or a, a drug dealer, you know, and then, <laughs> then you, you had beepers and smartphones. And today it's like everyone has a smartphone because that's just the... The, the tool that helps you accomplish everything much faster, you know, I can't. Now, there are people who still would prefer to use a, a flip phone because they, they don't want to be online, but um, that's not yeah. most people, right? That's not most yeah. people. Well, actually, Absolutely. thanks so much for being on the podcast. This has been a really intriguing conversation about what you guys are doing with Scholar AI and working with OpenAI and ChatGPT. And we're going to look for the developments and keep using your tool. For those that want to get in touch with you guys, what's the best way for them to find you? Yeah, I think um, if you look up our company on LinkedIn, you can kind of find any of the co-founders there. You guys can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, uh, Lakshay Bakshi. Um, if you guys want to talk to us about the product, all that sort of stuff, just reach us at info at scholarai.io and we'll be awesome. happy to chat. Well, thanks so much for being in the podcast. Thank you so much, Alex. It was a good conversation.